0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Henry here from Disruptive Money Management, and we are back. Yes, it has been way too long. We are back. We are live. I don't know where you're listening to me from, whether it's Apple iTunes or Google Podcasts, but we are back on the show. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to apologize. I apologize that you know we have had such a long hiatus. Um, the fact of the matter was, that a lot has changed in these last couple months. Um, you know, last couple months I haven't had a chance to record and kind of get back out there, just because of some major changes that have been going on in my life. Um, I underwent a major change for the financial firm that I clear through, um, and for those that are familiar with the financial services industry that type of change usually doesn't come easy. I mean, changes like these are usually thought out months in advance. And even so it takes months to kind of get through. And for me, you know, going through a change of this nature, it kind of had to, I had to kind of had to put the pause on, on a lot of things, a lot of the projects that I was working on, such as this podcast, disruptive money management. Um, and, and I had to kind of go back to ground one, square one to just reassess what, needed to be in place, um, before I dive back into this particular project, but enough said, I am extremely thankful, uh, to be back up and running again. A lot of good things that I'm looking forward to working on this particular year, sharing with you, um, as we develop this, but What we are doing today is we are jumping back into our segment of providing financial wellness, financial literacy to the public, taking information that most of us financial advisors know um, things that we see on a day in, day out basis. And we're just projecting it out there so that you yourself have the ability to learn from us, to kind of gain our insight and take that knowledge, take that information, take that outside opinion. And see if it helps. See if it helps with your financial life, right? And today's topic is going to be touching upon a conversation that I had with uh, a client of mine. And this particular client of mine, uh, I've been working with her for a number of years now. She's a fantastic, fantastic physician uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the questions that she had was, pertaining to her stock options. You see, she worked for a company um, that was privately held. And over the years, she accrued vested stock options. And, you know, now that the company is public, you know, it's one of the questions that she has is, Hey, how much of this stock should I still be holding? And how much of this stock should I be selling? Coincidentally enough, uh, this particular question is, is something that I get often and I can see why. I mean, with the explosion of companies going public these past few years, more and more of the new clients that are coming to me are asking questions relative to the stock options they have received through their employer. Questions such as, should I be selling my stock options or should I be holding on to them? How much of these stock options should I be selling? At what price do I sell them? And what do I do with the sale of the stock, right? And Asking these questions is a very standard process of your path towards financial independence. We talk about this a lot, financial independence. For many of the individuals that I work with within this process, the chief similarity of their situation is that they're often very devoted to their company. Not only do they commit long hours, but they spend the majority of their waking moments sweating and metaphorically bleeding to ensure that the companies succeed. More often than not, for company stockholders, the emotional value is more important than the intrinsic value. It is understandable, given the amount of time and dedication involved. However, I still urge individuals in cases such as this to take a step back and really think through the situation without the emotional attachment. I worked with an individual. He was a mechanic, uh, mechanical engineer for, for Tesla out in the Bay Area. And one of the things was, was that as Tesla was riding through the ups and downs, this individual was collecting and being given more stock options. And for this particular individual, it was difficult for him to sell it because there was a pride to owning such a large number of shares of Tesla. I mean, he was with Tesla from the very beginning, right? And these shares meant a lot to him. It wasn't just the monetary value. I mean, this was back in the day when, gosh, Tesla was probably trading in the 200 range right before the split, right? So this is, you know, way back then. And and really at the time, you know, holding those shares for this individual, for this engineer was more of like a badge of honor, a badge of pride that, hey, you know what? I've earned this. But at the end of the day, by associating the company stock you hold as no more than what it truly is, okay? A financial instrument, you are better able to make rational and sound decisions relative to your economic life. I repeat that. By associating the company stock that you hold as no more than what it truly is, a financial instrument, you are better able to make rational and sound decisions relative to your economic life. After you have made this mental pivot, and are looking at your company's stock as just a financial instrument, allow yourself the moment to take stock, no pun intended, of what you are holding. Perhaps, like most, you will find that most, most, if not majority, of your overall net worth and nest egg comprises of the company's stock. At this point, you ought to ask yourself these two to three primary questions to ascertain whether you should be selling or keeping the stock. What, in these three questions, okay, are what financial concerns make me cringe? What are my immediate, short-term, and long-term goals financially? Lastly, would I feel more comfortable with a more diversified investment portfolio? Starting with the first question, it's always good to have a baseline that you maintain, which determines how you're feeling about When it comes to your overall financial health, I pose this question to myself every six months or so, just to mentally check in on potential stressors that will distract me from living an overall healthy life. You start this assessment by just thinking through your financial life and listing all of the annoying things. Examples could be my student debt doesn't seem like it's decreasing. That vacation I put on my credit card 12 months ago is still on my credit card. I'm concerned our country might go through a recession and I might lose my job, thus I won't be able to be able to thus I wouldn't be able to pay for my housing while I look for a new job. The kids will go back to school and they need stuff like clothes and more stuff, like books and other stuff, like more stuff. The individual or joint if you're together with a significant other assessment is a means where you to determine what causes you mental stress from financially related matters. I genuinely believe that we must have a sound management system in place for unexpected financial circumstances for us to live our best selves. It's no secret that if you can decrease your stressors, you will live a more abundant and prosperous life. But yet, from the hundreds of individuals that I have talked to in the past, very few have actually sat down and identified what financial stress they suffer through and proactively plan to reduce it. When it comes to items that plain stress you out, it might just make perfect practical sense to cash out on your stock options when they vest, and use the funds to knock down some debt. Or if it's the lack of a safety cushion, then cash out some stock and keep it in a readily available savings account. For proper planning, you ought to have a rainy day fund and stock options that you may not be able to sell for 90 days aren't going to cut it. When they vest, keep it in cash after selling so that you have peace of mind in knowing that you are fine in the event of a financial oh-snap moment. After you have done that, you should jot down your immediate, short-term, and long-term financial goals. Remember that, like water, our lives are fluid. So do not be inundated in trying to paint a crystal clear portrait of all your objectives. Instead, break it down into time frames, such as what you want to accomplish in the next six months, two years, five years, and ten years. A six-month goal could be that you want to take two months off backpacking through South America and you want to make sure you have the financial means to cover all aspects of the trip, plus the ongoing maintenance of your home. Your two-year goals could be having saved enough for a healthy down payment for your house, or having your student loans obliterated, or perhaps just getting the car paid off. The five-year goals could be starting a family and making sure you or your spouse can take an extended absence to enjoy the first few years of your child's life. Or perhaps it could be that you want to switch full-time focusing on your side hustle and you want to have enough funds set aside to sustain yourself. The 10-year goals may still be murky, but financially it could be something as simple as having a preset savings. Perhaps you want to have a half million in your retirement essay, or even a million dollars. Perhaps your 10-year plan is to be completely debt-free, inclusive of your home mortgage. Let these bigger dreams and goals filtered through your mind as you start jotting all of them down. Once you have done this exercise, your next objective is to take stock of all you have written down and compare it to what you are currently doing. If it's that big trip that you've been dying to go on but you haven't saved enough yet, then perhaps it may make sense to sell some of your stocks to fund it. Now, granted... Sound financial planning means you're probably not in debt and can afford everything else, but just a high cost of living may be prohibiting you from saving as rapidly as you can. If that's the case, why not live a little and sell some of the Vesta company stock you have earned through the years to fund your dream trip? If owning your home is a dream and the Vesta stock can help you achieve that dream, why let the opportunity slip? Wouldn't you feel so much better if you lived in your dream home instead of staying as a renter? My point is that unless you have identified your goals, it is impossible to determine whether they are achievable unless you look at the complex financial numbers. Instead of letting the dreams stay as dreams, I suggest you take charge of those dreams by utilizing the financial instruments at your disposal. Lastly, Understanding that all investments have risks relative to the reward and how you are affected by that risk is vital to your overall financial life. If the company's stock is a majority of your nest egg, it may be in your best interest to have a more well-rounded and diversified portfolio. This is not to say that you should not be investing. Still, if the thought of losing a significant portion of your nest egg down to a you know, due to a misstep from one company causes anxiety, then diversification is critical. Every company that is publicly traded will go through market cycles. The stock rises and tumbles most of the time due to no outlying reason other than bad press. Additionally, in our modern times of social media influence and heightened retail investor interests, any perfectly sound company's stock price can fluctuate downwards just from unintended news. If the company you work for runs into this, and there's a pretty good shot that it will, only because this is the nature of how Wall Street works, you may want to diversify. As they become vested, sell your positions and reinvest in outside companies. Vested stock is a prime time because you are already paying taxes on investment, so why not take the opportunity to diversify as well? Selling your stock options should not be driven by a price target or a monetary value. First and foremost, it should be driven by your overall financial picture and whether, they need, whether the need to sell is, is here. Selling out of your vested company stock doesn't necessarily mean you're losing out on potential future gains. It just means that you have locked in what you have made and are ready to take some risks from overexposure off the table and diversify into other investment opportunities. Assessing your financial life is essential in making this critical decision. Having a thought-out plan on the tax liability and investing is imperative to making a wise investment decision. Don't hesitate to reach out to your trusted financial planner or CPA when it comes to assessing the situation. If you have not worked with a financial planner before or would like a second opinion, I'll be more than happy to help you assess your situation and provide you with your best case scenarios on reaching your financial goals. And that's it for today, my friends. Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, I wish you and your loved ones the very best. The podcast reflects the opinions of the hosts. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a recommendation to buy or sell any security, and is not an offer or sale of a security. The podcast is also not a research report, and is not intended to be the basis of any investment decision. Investment advice is offered only through a signed management agreement with Juncture Wealth Strategies LLC, a registered investment advisor.